Hi, this is Samantha. And this is Anuel. And this is Murder's Intention. Hey guys, so last week was a pretty, it was pretty short, but it was also pretty good information we received. Um, and now this week, we're going to go into a little bit more of a spooky as hell for you. Uh, so I want you to, you know, just kind of picture this scenario, okay? So it's winter time in Anchorage, Alaska. Okay, so on February 1st, just to give you a time zone, um, and it's 2012, so let's think back, okay? Um, so there's a coffee shop called The Common Grounds, and it's more like a kiosk kind of type, um, where it's basically you stand outside, um, and then you get served through a window kind of thing. Um, and it was, it was located on Truder Road. Um, which would later on become an abduction site. Okay, so here's the scenario. A man approaches for coffee um, prior to closing time, and their closing time was 8 p.m. Mm -hmm. um, he's wearing a ski mask and orders a coffee. So remember, in Anchorage, this is not, you know, something that's not common to wear a ski mask during the winter times because, remember, Alaska is very cold and they need to stay warm. So he orders a coffee um, and a young lady, the barista is, her name is Samantha, and she's make, she makes him his coffee, she hands it to the man, he then pulls out a gun, okay, and demands money. So Samantha thinking this is just, you know, a hold up. I'm just going to get robbed and then it'll be over with. Yeah. So she complies and then he forced himself into the kiosk um, and he ties Samantha's hands up with zip ties. He asks where's her car. Now Samantha didn't drive. She was waiting for her boy boyfriend to pick her up at 8 p.m. when she would close. So that's why she had no car. So it kind of put a little default in the scenario that he was plotting. Um, so she told him that she didn't have a vehicle and so he forcefully walked her out of the, the coffee stand towards Tudor Road. Um, and so Samantha at one point was able to break away from him. Um, but unfortunately he chased her, tackled her down um, and he was able to put one arm around her and he pointed a gun into her side and told her to cooperate and that the gun had quite ammo um, and that she should not do anything to make him kill her. So like most people, they're like, oh, shoot. Okay, I'm going to cooperate. This will be over with, you know, 
I, I, I will, I will, this, this will be done. This is just a nightmare I'm going through. Mm -hmm. Um, so they walked across into a parking lot between the IHOP restaurant and the Dairy Queen, where a white truck was parked. The truck was previously prepared for the abduction and taking, by taking the mountain toolbox off the bed of the truck, as well as removing the license plate. So he was very, the person was very meticulous in yes. making sure that this truck now looks like every other truck, right. you know? Um, so he bound Samantha in the truck and kid, and then they drove away, mm -hmm. right? So he drove around town at first, and I'm guessing at that time he really, you know, either didn't want to be home precisely at that time, or maybe looking for the perfect spot to do whatever he was gonna do. Right. Um, so he explains to Samantha that this was a kidnap for a ransom. However, Samantha tells him that her family did not have much money and that he likely would not get any ransom money from it. Um, but he explains that they'll be willing to raise money to go and, you know, money for the ransom um, through the public. Yeah. So that was pretty smart if you think about it because he knew okay you might not have money but the public is going to want to help out an 18 years old child yeah. you know girl yeah um so he convinced samantha that if she cooperated she would be returned to her family unharmed so samantha believed this and she tried to talk to him in an effort to convince him to release her at some point on the drive he realized that Samantha didn't have her phone. So originally he was going to buy a burner phone, but then he realized that he would be seen on camera buying the phone. Um, he would have to activate it, which would mean he might have to put his name to it. And that would complicate the whole effect and he would get caught. So what not easier to go and use her phone to send the ransom messages, right. you know, or messages just to buy him time by using her phone. Yeah. That's when he realized she didn't have her phone. So here's the thing. Now here's so many chances. She had the chance to escape. Like, my thing is, the first thing would be when he pointed out that gun. I'd rather you shoot me and know that I locked the door behind me, the, the window in the front, it's shut. I will throw whatever I gotta throw, and I will hit that alarm, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but that was her first time. Nothing against her because you know she is a victim in this case, and she was very young. So common sense, you're gonna you figure comply with him. This will be done. Yeah. Um, then when he drove her, when he got her to a different location, and she did try to run away, I would have just screamed for everything I had in life, right. and I would have told him, "If you kill me now." your whole plan goes to dismay, yeah, yeah. which kind of helps you out. And here's the funny thing was that there was a car next to his truck when he bound her. Oh. And they he told them, because I read it in um, a book, actually I was listening to it in Audible, um, and he actually told the vehicle next to his truck that 
she was just drunk. She was his drunk friend, and he was trying to get her into the vehicle to get her home. Yeah. Um, so most people, not realizing exactly the facts, you know, was like, okay, you know. So it's like, wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and then so now he has to go and go back to the stand to go and get that. But here's the thing. During his drive around the town to buy himself time, mm -hmm. her boyfriend went to the stand to pick her up, saw that she wasn't there, that the lights were out, and then he goes to her house to go and ask the dad, hey, did you pick her up? Where is she? You know? Yeah. And the boyfriend and her earlier had an argument because he tends to flirt. He tended to flirt with other females. And she was getting pissy pants. Well, not pissy pants. But she was getting, like, every female pissed off with that. Yeah. So, um, he retrieved the cell phone and got back into the truck and drove away from the stand. So, he got away with that. Yeah. You know. Um, then, the first mess, he sends two text messages um, to the boyfriend and the boss. So, the boss of the, the Common Ground store. Um, the first text message was made to appear that Samantha had just had a bad day and was leaving the town for the weekend. Um, and then this, uh, the message to the boyfriend was like she needed some time away, something like that. Um, so, you know, it was, was pretty convincing, which means he actually read the messages previous to sending yeah. so that way he knew what to say and how to say it um, but then he takes out now I've never heard anybody do this he takes out the battery from her phone mm -hmm. to not get detected of where he's located right. their phone can can be a GPS yeah. exactly you know so then he asked Samantha for her debit card so Samantha informed him that they shared, that her and her boyfriend shared a bank account together. So the debit card is actually in the truck at her house. <laughs> and then it should be either in the glove compartment or on the visor. Um, and <laughs> so here's the thing. He, he, these are like scenarios where you're like, dude, this is when you shouldn't tell yourself, let her go, give up, say forget this. This has become complicated. Yeah. You know, let let's let's get over this. Yeah. You know. Um, so she provides the location to her house, um, and gives him the pin number. Um, then Samantha was placed in his shed in front of the house. So he has two sheds, one in the back of the house, which is what everybody uses. Then he has his shed in the front of the house which is just meant for his, um, for him. And I'll get into more details of why there's two sheds um, later on in the story. So he bounds her and he turns on the radio so that way no one can hear her scream if she wants to. Mm -hmm. um, he also told her that he had a police scanner the whole time in his ear and can hear if 
when they, when they were at the store, if she was to press the button, he can hear it. Um, if she was screaming and the police were on their way, he'll know. So now that he was, she was at his place, she he would know if the police was in the surrounding area um, yeah. because of a screaming person. So basically, she's at the point where she's like, uh, snaps, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Let me just keep complying and this will be over. You know? So, he drives to Samantha's house, retrieves the ATM card from her truck. Um, so, while he's there, he's actually confronted by the boyfriend um, who yells at him and then goes back into the house. <laughs> the, the boyfriend le- legit goes back into the house and they say that he went for help. But my thing is, I'm sorry, you just went in my truck? No, no. You know, I'm calling the popo, and you're out. You're, you're, no, I don't know who you are, and you're in my truck? No. Oh, boy. <laughs> but once again, he got away with this. <laughs> so, what seemed to be like points of where give up, let it go. You know, yeah. try some other time to do this method of yours because this was not working. No. Um, but apparently, he it still kind of worked out to his benefit. Um, so he, oh my God, dear Lord, I just can't believe. So he ran back to his truck and he left the area before they could even find him. Um. So he drives to an ATM to test the pin out just to make sure that it actually worked, mm-hmm. you know. Um, he then returns to the shed to sexually assault her. Now, I've, from what the book had told me, he did, he sexually assaulted her twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the last time, in the last sexual assault, is when he asphyxiated her. Um, and for those who don't understand what asphyxiated means, he basically suffocated her, um, and which would pronounce her to be dead. So he leaves her in the shed, and then goes back to his house, okay, um, where he packs for a planned, a pre-planned cruise that he was taking um, for New Orleans, and he would he was gonna leave that next morning, February second, for a cruise. So, now, here's the thing. So, she's dead. She's in the shed. Um, he turns off the heaters so that way no one would smell decomposing body. Because, remember, it's Alaska. It's cold. Yeah. So, here's the bad part. She froze. Her body legit froze. Okay? Um, so, he returns to Anchorage on February 17th. And then he's like, well, I got to make this ransom note, but shoot, um, you know, she's dead. What am I going to do? So he finds a newspaper um, dated February 13th behind a dumpster. He takes that. He goes to, um, if I write the book, said he went to Target, um, got himself a Polaroid camera. Then he had to go to another store at a different location to be able to go get the film for it. He bought a typewriter in a Goodwill store 
and then went to another store to go get the paper. And I'm in my head, I'm like, okay, we're making this very complex. Like, there's a lot of paper trail in this scenario, you know? Yeah, but that's the purpose of it. That's why he did it. It'd be harder. You have to go through all those steps to find it. True. Well, I guess yes. Yeah. You know, you don't want it to be where it's all in one shot. You're giving them the information. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so then he goes and he makes this ransom note um, with the demand for money to be placed into the ATM card that he has. Um, so he goes to the, the shed, retrieves Samantha's body. He takes the steps to make her look alive. So he takes makeup that she had in her bag. He even goes out and buys makeup that is the same that she had. He braids her hair, which she never braided her hair. She always had her hair down, you know? Yeah. So he braids her hair, takes a picture, then he photocopies it. And then he goes and does, um, he takes the Polaroid's um, picture um, of her tied up. So he ties her back up to make it look like, you know, she's actually still alive. He even, he, um, when was the last time you had breakfast? I haven't yet. Okay, so your stomach is good. No, <laughs> so, listen to this. He tried to glue her eyes open. But it didn't stay. Hmm. He ended up sewing her eyes open from her brow, her eyebrows, um, to the eyelid, and then attaching to the her nasal pat, um, well, the skin into the nasal into her nostril, and then with a a fish string. He had it where for her hands to be held up a little bit, so that way it looks like she's still alive, um, even though she wasn't. <laughs> so I'm telling you, this this is like what the French like. Why, why, dude? Um, so the picture actually shows um, his arms holding the Anchorage newspaper of February 13th. So he does have his body in there. But he tends to not, re he didn't realize a birthmark was showing. Um, so, like I said, he photocopied the picture. He did a manual typewriter um, for the ransom note for $30,000 um, on the back of the photo. And then, after preparing the note and the photo, he placed it in, it in con. Connor's Bob Park under a memorial flyer for a dog named Albert. Now he sent a message to the boyfriend um, using her cell phone saying um, that the, there was a note underneath the Albert. Um, it actually was a different kind of note that he said. Well, I mean, message that he said was um, I think he mentioned the, the, the park name and then said, Ain't she pretty? And it was just like, what? Um, so the note was discovered by the APD. Um, so in the days that followed, he dismembered her body. And then he drove out to 
Mantanuska, and I hope I'm saying this right, um, lake, where he would cut a hole in the ice, and act, and actually he was, he did drop her body in there. Um, he actually took three trips to there to be able to drop her body. Um, the first was, I know definitely was the, her head, was the first one that was dropped in there. Um, and then it was, there was her body later on. And, but to cover his story about the ice fishing, he did end up doing ice fishing just to be able to collect some, some more, um, kind of like, yeah, I was ice fishing. I got, you know, the fish to prove it uh, kind of scenario, yeah. you know? Kind of like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, at the end of the day, we can now say he can do both at the same time, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so meanwhile, um, while that was happening, Samantha's father, James Coordinate, mm -hmm. I, I can't pronounce his name right, so we're just going to keep calling him James. Mm -hmm. um, he deposited the reward money into the account, um, which was donated by members of the community. Um, so the plan was to attempt to attach to catch the predator by tracking any withdrawals done the ATM withdrawals were made in Anchorage then in Arizona Mexico and Texas so yeah he was traveling yeah. but what he stupidly didn't realize was they were tracking all of this and him thinking well if I take little by little by little by little they're not going to realize that I'm, I'm doing this my dear, you're leaving, you know, trails yeah. around of where you've go, been at, right. you know. So, the authorities were able to determine that the that the predator of these withdrawals was driving a white Ford Focus. The FBI and the Texas Rangers tracked right. the ATM withdrawals as they occurred. Ultimately. Corporal Brian Henry of the Texas Highway Patrol pulled over a white Ford Focus matching the description. Henry, along with Texas Ranger Steve Rayburn, obtained enough information during the traffic stop to search the Ford Focus. They ended up finding her cell phone and her ATM card. The ATM card was found in his wallet. The phone was in his car. So, gotcha. yeah. So now, the predator was arrested in Texas after using her Samantha's debit card, um, which he had previously used in New Mexico and Arizona, like we stated before. Um, he they extradited him to Alaska, where he confessed to murdering her. So only. He only confessed after requesting an Americano, a candy bar, and a cigar. So he requested these things to tell them the whole story of what happened. Um, and so that's basically majority of what had happened. Um, the book actually does, it's called American Predator, and it actually does tell you more in deep of what exactly happened in that in those times during the rest 
Um, it gives you a standpoint from what he was saying, what the officers were thinking, the, the FBI, the detectives. So definitely, I would say, read that book if you want that more inside of kind of knowledge of who this person is. Mm -hmm. So you're probably saying, well, who is this person? What's going on? I want to know what what drove him to this. Yeah. So you're going to be asking, who is Israel Keys? Now, before you start Googling it, okay, let us finish telling you this, okay? So Israel Keys was actually born in Cove, Utah on January 7th, 78. Um, that makes him a Capricorn. So that makes him a Capricorn. Um, he's the second out of 10 kids. So yeah, um, his parents, Heidi and John Jeffrey Keys, didn't believe in the government in interference, public schools, nor modern medicine. So when he was a toddler, the family left Utah um, for Colville, Washington, and then they lived in an isolated extinction existence in the woods um, where Keys grew up without heat, electricity, like it was very hard to do a lot of the stuff. Um, while in Washington, Keys' parents left the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and became fundamentalist Christians and joined a white supremacist church. Then in later 1990s, the family relocated to um, Morpin, Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, forgive me if I don't say these mm -hmm. right. Um, I'm not used to these kind of names. Right. So they next they next move across the country, settling across to the Amish community in Maine. Growing up, Keith broke into neighbors' homes to steal guns. Um, he loved hunting. Um, he would pursue anything that had a heartbeat. And then he would torture the animals. He there is one part where he went with one of his friends to um to the woods, and I think he tied up a cat to a tree, shot it, and just watched it run around the tree in agony until it it died. Yeah, he found it hilarious while. His friend got sick and said, got sick from this view and said, he never wanted to be in the woods with him ever again. Yeah. You know, so he that's when he started realizing there's something about me that's not like everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, I to make myself look normal need to go and kind of basically have two personalities. Yeah. You know, the everyday Joe and then the the actual Israel Keys. Mm -hmm. Um. So his behavior that had been, became, it became like baby behaviors linked to people who are a psychopath. Um, so while in custody, Keys actually tells them, I've known since I was 14 that there was, there was things that I would, I thought of were normal, that were okay, but nobody else seemed to think were normal and okay. So that's like what I was saying, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So after, a after the teenage Keys told his family he no longer shared their faith, his father cuts ties with him, but he does remain close to his mother, mm -hmm. you know? 
So, in July 1998, he's joined the U.S. Army. Now, here's the thing. He didn't have a birth certificate. He didn't have a Social Security. So, technically, he didn't exist to the world. His mom had all her kids' um, home births. So, there was no document saying, I gave birth to this child. God. You know? Um, so, but somehow he was able to go and explain to them that, you know, he told um, the U.S. Army that he was Amish, which also would explain why he didn't have documentation. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. And that he wanted to do the thing to, you know, be part of the U.S. Army. So, with the fact that he didn't really um, know much of people, he actually started to get along with some of the guys um, in the that he was, you know, dunked with. There was one guy in particular who took him to a rock concert. And so it started to become where everything that guy liked and was interested in, he became liking and interested in too. It's kind of like when you take a kid out and they see that you find this to be a fun place, they say, oh, okay, this was fun. And it could be like the most stupidest thing ever and something mm -hmm. that they later on decide that they don't like. And being, they end up liking it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So he did. He did well as a soldier, though. Um, he spent time in Egypt, uh, at Fort Hood in Texas, and Fort Lewis in Washington. So after his honorable discharge in July two thousand and one, he left. He left. Um, he ended up living on. Now, forgive me if I don't say this right. Macau. Macau Reservation with the mother of his daughter. Um, so yeah, in the book they also explain go into more details about how that happened. It was a very complex kind of situation. Yeah. Um, so at one point Keys received a DUI while in the army, but other Otherwise, he really didn't have any, he had never really had any trouble with the law, mm -hmm. except for, you know, what a lot, a lot of people get a DUI, you know, um, the army is a lot more stricter, so you get busted a lot more quicker. Right. Yeah. You know? So, as a serial killer, he's targeted victims who happen to cross his path, rather than striking at a specific, to a specific profile, mm. you know, like, some some serial killers only go for men. Some only go for females around this certain amount, this age, or this race, or whatever. Mm -hmm. He was he didn't see that. Um, whew, he, he's just like what the fudge. <laughs> um, so he would often wait to accost accost. People in places like parks, cemeteries, or campgrounds. Um, he would also say, state um, he would also confess to the law enforcement that it wasn't as much to choose from in the, a matter of speaking, but there was also no witnesses. Really, there there's no one else around. So he would pick places where there's not really anybody to catch him doing what he wanted to do. Right. Um, 
So, now here's the thing. So, when he would travel, he would leave, he would bury a bucket with a kill kit. So, he never had to go and get caught carrying a kill kit because he buried it in different locations. So, later on, he can use it to go ahead and kill those he wanted to go ahead and kill. Why? So that's kind of like, wow, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, but he also would travel to for his kills. Mm -hmm. So in 2011, he flew to Chicago before driving to Vermont, where he where he murdered Bill and Lorraine Courier. Um, so. He had a little history of of trips that covered a lot of ground in the United States, meaning he had many opportunities to seek out victims. Um, he had foreign journeys, like um, he visited Canada, Mexico, Belize. Um, many have played another part in Keys' killing spree. Um, while on the road, Keys would pay in cash and take the battery out of his cell phone to lessen his chances of being tracked. So, now with the Bill and Lauren, um, he ended up breaking into their back, back, uh, their back door or into the garage and he even said it in his interviews that you can find on YouTube um, where it was like within five minutes he was already into the bedroom. He got them into their car, um, drive them to another location. Um, it was an abandoned house. Now, this one part, the book kind of makes um, an assumption uh, because Keys did not want it to give a complete yes or no because there are certain things that he would say, I'm not ready to speak on that. I'm not ready to give you that information yet. Mm -hmm. um, so we know he beat up Bill um, and killed him, but we don't. Well, the part that's unclear is if he sexually assaulted Bill. We do, however, know he did sexually assault Lorraine and then killed her. Um, so that is kind of like his scenario but the theme is that with so when they went to go and try to retrieve where he said that her body was located well their bodies were located in um, this old like two-story farmhouse um, got demolished so if there was anybody it's now in the landfill so they spent about I think two to three months searching the landfills and search for her body but could not well in search for their bodies but they couldn't find it um, so it's basically going with the facts and the timeline of where he was at mm -hmm. during that time frame um, is where they were able to pinpoint him to it you know yeah. because like I said before he would take out the batteries when he was getting ready to do any of his killings or abductions so that way he could be traced, but which would also give that person, everybody, that kind of like, okay, the dot stopped here in this vicinity, 
let's make a big circle around there and then to when it finally came back on there should be a crime in between those gaps right um so that can help you yeah. know we find out exactly which they would later on use as a vantage to try to figure out what other crimes was is he connected to um so like i said um So key serial killing incorporated be detail like incorporated a detailed plan. Um, he crisscrossed the country to hide um, his buckets of murder equipment. Like I explained, mm -hmm. you know, which all of them consist of guns, ammunition, and chemicals for the destruction of the body which would also destroy any evidence that he might left on the body as well. Yeah. Um, so whenever he wanted to kill, he would just, you know, dig up these buckets and there was his, his little, you know, kill kit. So he started, he started, um, studied the work of FBI profilers and learned about serial killers. Now one of his favorite serial killers, was Ted Bundy. Um, in in the this is the book that I was talking about. Um, in Maureen Callahan's um, 2019 book about him, um, which is called American Predator, she noted that he seemed fitted as a he had been fitted with a gastric band, and he had visited um, plastic surgeons clinic in Mexico so they're saying that he had even though he was very tall and very you know he wasn't like he was athletically built uh, but he had a gastric bypass done which anybody would say you're not overweight why did you have it he had this so that way he can you know go on these long road trips without making so many stops to eat you know to use the bathroom so I think with the whole Americano and the candy bar situation is how he got through with keeping energy and also keeping fuel in his body to keep going. Yeah. Um, which, sad to say, you know, it's it's pretty methodic in my head. Yeah. You know? So, she also speculates in the book that Keyes might have been trying to become a better killer. Um, a lap band, like I said would mean he wouldn't get hungry as often and he would he might have changed his fingerprints and removed body hairs to lessen the chance of leaving evidence behind which is like his biggest thing was always evidence um, making sure that there was no way of leaking everything, anything back to him which unfortunately sadly you know with his last kill it it's what messed him up was the fact that he was using the card instead of keeping up with his normal procedures of doing things he stayed with those two objects the phone and the debit card you know instead of thinking smartly right. um so Shortly before being captured, um, Key spent time with his mother and his, some of his siblings 
um, his father did die earlier um, in Texas. So during his this trip, uh, his sister tried to get him to reconsider his atheism. Um, the pastor present a pastor presented at the time. Okay, so the pastor present at that time said to Keys, "Wait, no, I'm sorry, my bad. Makes up. Woohoo, rewind." Um, so when this is the one in him to reconsider his atheism, the pastor that was present in there states that he said, and I, apparently I can't even read my own notes, um, that. He goes and tells them, you don't know the depth of darkness that I've gone to. You don't know what I've done. And it's the murders. Mm. All the murders he have committed. Now, mm. they're suggesting that he has committed around 11 because he says he's committed less than a dozen. So he tells you it's less than a dozen, but in your mindset, you're like, okay, wait. Who would say a dozen, you know? So, Keyes was arrested and eventually brought back to Alaska, like we had said earlier, confronting with evidence trying, trying him for Samantha's disappearance when then he confesses to the crime. Um, he, the killings was at, at odds with his unusual careful planning, like I had said, but he told the law enforcement that he'd been feeling out of control and noted Back when I was smart, I wouldn't, I would let them come to me. So normally, they would, he would wait for them to get close to him, and then that's when he would react. This time, he went out looking. Right. You know, so he was losing control, starting to get what most serial killers end up having, which is that impulse. Right. You need it. You got to look for it, because they're not coming to you quick enough to calm that urge. So, at, according to Keyes, his first planned attack took place in Oregon in 1997 or 1998, one of the two. He abducted, he abducted a teenage girl, then he raped her. He in, his intent was to murder her, but she convinced him to let her leave. Um, at that point, he wasn't violent, so that's what he tells them. Uh, he also says that he made up he made up his mind um, and he was never going to let that happen again so she convinced him you know to let him go you know um, she even at one point even says you know you're a good looking guy if you would have asked me I would probably went on a date with you yeah. you know which I've seen some of the pictures and I if we can just like you know put a, a, a blanket over his nose okay yeah I, I'm being honest sorry <laughs> um so he spoke about killing less than a dozen um people um while in jail he used his own blood to draw which I'm like why why 12 skulls which a lot of people may say well that represented the 11 victims and himself because while he was um, being um, 
talking with the FBI and in the interrogation, his one of his demands was not just the Americanos, the candy bar, and the cigar, but it was to be given an execution date. He okay. wanted to die. He didn't want to go through the whole the nonsense. He just wanted it over and done with. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2020, uh, an FBI agent told the 48-hour show, um, we believe that the 11 is the total number of victims, yet only three of Key's victims have been definitely identified. So uh, that's that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, the one known victim is Samantha, um, the Anchorage barista, um, and that was on February first, two thousand and twelve. And we're not gonna go back into the whole spew on mm-hmm. her. Um, they end up finding her her remains on April, which I think I forgot to say that in April 2012, which in the book that I was telling you about, American Predator, they do go into very big depth on the discovery, how they did everything, how they tried to keep everything under wraps in a small town as Anchorage. So, um, then he also, Keyes also confesses to murdering the Currens, like I told you, in Essex? Essex, Vermont. Please forgive me if I said it wrong. Um, in June twenty eleven, the the couple was selected at random, and they fit his criteria of having no children, no dogs, in a house with an attached garage. So, like I said, he went through the garage, broke the window, and so like yeah. I said, um, he subdued them and then transported the pair to an abandoned house. He and like I said, he killed and raped. Um, we can't confirm that he raped Bill, but we definitely know that he killed and raped Lorraine. Um, so, with that one. Um, and then, he claims he took at least five other lives, but he never actually gave the names of the victims. Um, so, by his, his account, he killed four people in Washington State. Um... A couple, sometime between 2001 and 2005, two separate victims in 2005 and 2006. Um, he's also stated that in 2009, he murdered someone on the East Coast and then, um, then left the body in New York State. So the FBI is relatively confident that this victim was Deborah Feldman. A New Jersey resident who went missing in April 2009. Wow. So there are speculations about other possible Keys victims, um, and that also includes a young girl named Julie Harris who disappeared in Col- Colville um, in 1996. Which, if you remember, that's where his family went to live after Utah. Right. I remember. So, and she had, now here's a sick image that's going to come into your head. This little girl had prosthetic, had a prosthetic foot, which were found a month after she vanished. And then her remains came to light in 2007, I mean, 1997. Um, Keys was, 
was in the area when Harris went missing, but he denied any involvement. Remember, at that time, his story, he always puts the story of he doesn't do anything to children. And they, they relate that to being basically because he's a father, so he's trying to say that he never did anything to children. But he wasn't a father all that time, you know? So they think that maybe prior to becoming a father, maybe then he did something to children, and then becoming a father kind of changed that yeah. um, mentality for him. Kind of makes sense. Which, you know, as a father, you end up thinking, okay, well, that's a child. That's somebody's, you know, I could I could relate to that. Which yeah. I'm like, well, what about, you know, the older ones? They're somebody's child, too. Right. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> but remember, serial killers and psychopaths don't actually have that much of the complete logical sense. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Unfortunate. Um, so, he, he also been um, been accused to be involved with some other unsolved crimes um, such as the murder murders of a 56 years old Mary Cooper and her 27 years old daughter Susanna Stoden who were shot while hiking in Washington State in 20 um, in 2006 which in the book um, you'll hear um, they do mention this and the way they were left was like in a um, in a crouching position, like he staged the body. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. So Keys also said um, he next intended to leave Alaska and travel through storm rage regions to find new victims while working as a con as a contractor. He dreamt of later building a house where he could imprison his victims. Um, so while in custody, he shared some details about his crimes with investigators through, though it seemed to take, he took pleasure in limiting the flow of information. Mm -hmm. um, he also expressed his desire for a quick execution date. He um, saying he dreaded length languishing behind bars for years and he didn't want his mother or daughter to suffer because of his crimes um so like what yeah now you got a mentality now you got a brain um so keys offered details about the courier killings as a bargaining chip with the law enforcement um and then in 2000 keys became involved with just to let you know about the child part in 2000 he became involved with uh a woman uh, her name was Tammy um, and she lived on the Macau reservation in Washington and their daughter was born in 2001 um, in 2007 Keys moved to Alaska to live with a a nurse practitioner he had been dating um, so while in, in custody, Keys expressed his desire to prevent his daughter from suffering due to his actions. Uh, he basically says, I want my kid to have a chance to grow up. You know, she's in a safe place now. She's not going to see any of this. I want her to have a chance to grow up and not have all this hanging over her head. In my opinion, you should have never started the crimes. Keys committed so here's here's the thing 
Um, he's in the committing suicide in his Anchorage jail cell um, on the night of December 1st, 2012. Despite them war despite warnings not to provide keys with razor blades, they gave him one. So, he, the, the correctional officer has been told, don't give him pencils anymore because he was, he was basically, um, kind of like scoping them down to be able to unlock the keys, which at one point during, um, his trial proceedings, um, they actually, he actually was able to undo his locks and was trying to escape. So then they started doing thing where he had to have a, his hand in a box, cuffed, that box would be locked, his feet would be chained twice with the uh, handcuffs. Um, and like I said, the book actually goes into detail about that. Um, then they told him, they said because he attempted he tried to go and do things with the razor blades. He can only use electrical um, shavers. Um, and a guard had to be there with him when he would do so. And they were just like disregarding the whole thing. So he ends up getting one of the blades. And he cuts his, his wrist. wrist. Um, and also he strangled himself with a, with a sheet while he lied in bed. His body was, wasn't discovered until the next morning, where he also had some, like, suicide notes. Um, so, now here's the, here's the crappy part, is that at his funeral, the only people were there that was his mother, his sisters, and his brother-in-laws. Um, that was the only people there, and... So that is basically the the wrap of Mr. Israel Keys as he I apparently could not, you know, go through the whole process of dealing with everything he did. Um so there is like I said some of these interrogation um videos online and made public for people to be able to go ahead and listen to it. Yeah. What is your opinion? Well, you know that I'm not much of a person. Yeah. Uh, but we're hearing that last part. He's a fucking coward, mm -hmm. personally. Because he had no problem killing, so why shouldn't he not have a problem fussing up to, you know, not fussing up to, but um, paying the time instead of, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad that it was discovered that he was a psychopath. A lot of that stuff is not really discovered in person, especially a serial killer's um, lifetime. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense in him not having a pattern to his killings or who he kills. Um, I think uh, I think uh, okay. Um, I think uh, Israel Keys is he's a monster. There's, there's no other word, you know, there's no other word to describe it. I just I'm 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 upset at what he did to himself. I'm upset that all this happened, and I kind of uh, am speechless with all how he did it. His traveling. I mean, for a psychopath, he was smart as heck. Mm -hmm. You know, um, turning off the phone was was important in 
him. Yeah, it was a smart tactic. Yeah. And then him going to different stores to get the stuff that he needed. That will take up any police um, police officer or you know detectives to take time to which store did he go to. That was smart in his part. Yeah. So even though he was a psychopath, he was very intelligent. Um, his travels of his killings and having a kill kit. I mean, I don't know many people that think that much about it, especially when they have the label of a psychopath. So, you know, I mean, as far as he pisses me off, he, he he's also kind of like, wow, he did all that stuff, and he's kind of freaking intelligent, too. You yeah, know. it's one of those, it's one of those people that you want to just, like, emerge into their brain and figure out why you became this way when you have so much, there's talent like he knew yeah. how to do construction he knew how to build houses you know he knew how to do all these stuff right that he could have used his talent for something good yet he was also using it for something bad right. you know and it's just it's one of those why yeah just why yeah you know why the heck he did that you know like i mean and <clears throat> from from what i've read and for when i you know the research that i've done he could have been so professionally, you know, like I could, I would think that with his intelligence, he could be like a scientist, he could be a lawyer, yeah, like he could, he could have done something much better with his life than killing women for no apparent reason except for um, itching that crave that he had in his life. Yeah. You know, and of course, it all stems from his parents, unfortunately, because they're, what they believed in was not, you know, yeah. normal in any sense of the word. And it was, it was more like, so when it came to his parents' part, it was more of, he was isolated, he was put to grow up ahead of time, right. and then he saw how his parents was always searching for, he calls it the next cult, um, but mm -hmm. they were searching for a religion, somewhere to belong, but not to have that feeling of, I got to obey these kind of like stuff, right. you know, so it kind of does kind of with your brain. Oh yeah, you know. And, and I mean, they ended up with a white supremacist church, like, you know. Yeah. I am, you know, I'm, I'm in all of his, of his intelligence, and pissed off at what he did, and eventually killing himself just aggravates the crap out of me. Yeah. You know. Because in our, in my, my religion, um, killing yourself is not the way to go um is the easy way out yeah it's a coward you know yeah um normally you in in my religion um not putting religion onto anybody else but they if you go to hell if you commit suicide right um not proven but that's a, that's what they state in our book right in the books um but at the end of the day i just feel that anybody who commits suicide um no matter how big the problem is or whatever there's always another way to deal with it and especially if it's you can yourself you got to get out of the you know point of what you did of murder or whatever dude just do it the time you know and figure how can you pay back the communities that you Screw you them. injured yeah. you you demolished them you know yeah. and lastly he he said the next an execution date whether he followed it no matter what yeah he, at least you could say that about him you know, so he said he wanted um, a death date, and he 
He gave himself a death day. He completed that to the team. All right, guys. So that is all from us. We will see you next week with another case. Bye. Bye.